It's good to be together again, uh, both in person as well as through the live stream. And we trust that our time together will be a blessing for all of us this morning. I want to thank you all uh, for your prayers uh, on our behalf, for me and my family in the midst of the most difficult circumstances of life we've ever faced. We believe that God is indeed strong and kind. Thank you for singing that beautiful song for us. Uh, but this is very hard, and you're carrying the burden with it, with us, uh, makes it more bearable. So we want to thank you. And I believe this morning's message is what God wants us to hear as his people, the church. This message was in the works long before our family's recent tragedy, and I believe the timing is no accident. God has been faithful to bring me to experience those things that I would dare to preach about. This has always been my prayer, actually, when I prepare to teach. Little did I know what that would look like. But as we uh, get into God's word today to see what he would have to say for us, uh, I'd like us to pray together. Uh, I'm going to pray a prayer that I've adapted from one I recently heard from John Piper, which I felt was appropriate to our occasion this morning. Uh, let's pray. Thank you, Jesus, that we can know you as strong and kind. Thank you for calling us to this place and this time as your people. And we ask you now to come, King Jesus. Come and call out of darkness those who are still blind. Come and call into life the dead. Come and build up those who are failing and falling and weak. Come and do your work in us to transform us, to bring life, hope, truth, courage. Come and allow the ripples of what we do here this morning spread beyond what we can imagine. And now come and cause me to look away from myself that we may see you together this morning as your words to us are opened and revealed by your spirit. And it's in your name, Jesus, we pray. Amen. Let's think together, if we were to compare our country's current situation to the weather, uh, what would we say? I don't think we would say it's sunny, probably not even partly cloudy. How about stormy, perhaps stormy, uh, perhaps hurricane force winds at times. I was struck recently with the onset of several storms uh, in March 19th, Governor Wolf issued the shutdown orders for the ongoing storm known as COVID-19. This is now a little over four months ago. Then a week uh, or a, a couple months later, on May 25th, George Floyd is killed by police, unleashing a storm of civil unrest and violence over racial injustice. And then about a week later, bad windstorms literally come through the area causing a lot of damage, down trees, some injury. I think there was a death in Montgomery County, if I recall. Widespread and prolonged power outages, storms. Well, today's passage that we're going to look at in Mark 4 deals with a storm that Jesus and his followers find themselves in. So I'd like to invite you to open your Bibles to Mark chapter 4, and we're going to read verses 35 to 41. I'm actually going to read verse 1 because that sets the stage for us. And then I'm going to jump down to 35 to 41. Again, he began to teach beside the sea, 
and a very large crowd gathered about him so that he, that is Jesus, got into a boat and sat in it on the sea and the whole crowd was beside the sea on the land. On that day when evening had come, he said to them, let us go across to the other side. And leaving the crowd, they took him with them in the boat just as he was and other boats were with him and a great windstorm arose and the waves were breaking into the boat so that the boat was already filling. But he was in the stern asleep on the cushion and they woke him and said to him, Teacher, do you not care that we are perishing? And he awoke and rebuked the wind and said to the sea, Peace, be still. And the wind ceased, and there was a great calm. And he said to them, Why are you so afraid? Have you still no faith? And they were filled with great fear and said to one another, Who then is this that even the wind and the sea obey him? May God give us understanding of his word as we look at it this morning. After a long day of teaching beside the sea, as we saw starting in verse 1, Jesus says, let us go to the other side. That's a common occurrence, traveling back and forth across the lake by boat. The short version of the story, something that many of us know, a great storm arises that is swamping the boat in danger of drowning. His disciples wake up Jesus, who's sleeping in the back of the boat, and he then commands the storm to stop, which it does immediately and completely. What I'd like to do is look at this a little closer, and as we do so, we see there are three greats and three questions. Three greats and three questions. So let's look at the first great And the first question, in verse 37, as they are going across, and it's interesting to note that it's it's not just Jesus and his disciples in a boat. There are other boats that are crossing the the lake as well, the uh, Sea of Galilee. Uh, So they were able to witness this as well and suffer through this. But in verse 37, it says, a great windstorm arose and the waves were breaking into the boat so that the boat was already filling. As they were doing normal life, as I say, this was a common practice of going back and forth across the Sea of Galilee. They were doing normal life and a great windstorm arose. That word windstorm does not refer just to a rain shower or even a heavy rain. It refers to what Bible dictionaries refer to as a furious storm, a tempest a hurricane. This was not just a little shower. This was a major storm. But then Mark adds to that. It's not just a windstorm. It is a great windstorm. The word he uses is mega. We're familiar with that. I don't do this, but the the biggest one that came to mind, wouldn't you like to win millions? But how about mega millions? Right? Where do you hear that? Right? You want to win mega millions. That, that word is it's big, it's, it's large, it's overwhelming. This was not just a furious storm. This was a mega furious storm, a furious storm that was very big, a mega storm. These men were familiar with the sea. Some of them were professional fishermen. They were used to dealing with rough waters and storms. This is not something that would have been new to them. The Sea of Galilee is about 700 feet below sea level, and it's prone to sudden storms as cold air from the mountains to the west come crashing down on the warm air above the sea. But this was no ordinary storm. This was a great storm, a mega storm. And we read here 
so that the boat was already filling. The implication here is this happened very quickly. This storm arose furiously, seemingly out of nowhere, and the boat started filling up with water very quickly. They were doing everything they knew to do. They were rowing, they were bailing, they were securing, and they were completely overwhelmed. Completely overwhelmed. They recognized that if nothing changed, they would drown. If nothing changed, they would drown. Well, think about your life. Have you ever been there? Ever been hit by a great storm? Storms are part of life in this fallen world. Sometimes those storms are minor, and sometimes they qualify as great storms. You're doing normal life when all of a sudden you find yourself in the midst of a storm that is too strong for you. Despite doing everything you know to do, everything you used to do, if nothing happens, you will drown. What are some examples? Well, it can be severe weather. It can be epidemics, financial crisis, school pressure, job pressure, children struggling or making poor choice after poor choice, illness, marriage struggles, crushing loneliness, a relentless social and racial injustice, abusive situations from abusive parents, a spouse or job. Or how about death of a loved one, especially a premature, unexpected death? And so we've experienced, as many of you know, and just in case there are some who don't, our family re recently experienced an overwhelming storm in our lives. Uh, on July 19th, just uh, 12 days after meeting our eighth grandchild for the first time, uh, six-month-old Melchior, we got the chilling phone call from our daughter with the three words, Melchior is gone. A victim of a crib death. This is not just a storm. This is a great storm. This is a mega storm. This is an overwhelming storm, just like many of you have and have had. So the first grade is a great storm arises in the midst of doing normal life with something that they were used to doing. Out of nowhere comes a great storm. Well, then we see the first question. In verse 38, he was in the stern, asleep on the cushion. And they woke him and said to him, teacher, do you not care that we are perishing? So this first question comes from Jesus' disciples. Lord, do you not care that we are perishing? So this overwhelming storm comes into the lives of Jesus' followers. Where is he? What is he doing during this life-threatening emergency? He is sleeping in the back of the boat. Now, when we see someone sleeping on the job, what do we think? Well, maybe they're really very tired. They're working three jobs and they are very tired. Maybe it's indifference. Maybe they don't care. Maybe it's neglect. Maybe they really are uncaring. 
Maybe they're trying to escape from the stress of life. I don't know how many of you are like that, that when stress comes, you go to bed. Some of you are laughing because you know what I mean. Maybe that people are depressed or anxious, or maybe they just forgot what their responsibilities were. What is their conclusion when they look at Jesus sleeping in the back of the boat, his absence from their struggle, his not joining them in their quest to get this boat under control is a sign that he does not love them. We are obviously drowning here, and you obviously don't care. I believe their question is hugely accusatory with perhaps a tinge or maybe more than a tinge of anger. Now, it's not clear to me what they expected him to do, it's clear they did not expect him to stop the storm. Were they expecting him to bail water, to take one of the oars and row? But they were upset at him that he was sleeping in the back of the boat. Well, when you're drowning in your storms and God is silent, do you assume he's not able to do anything, perhaps he's not strong enough to really help me? Or do you assume, like the disciples, that he doesn't care enough about you to help? Lord, do you not care that we are perishing? Particularly if the problem is of your own doing anyway. I got myself into this, I'm suffering the consequences of my own problem. Jesus doesn't care enough about me to help that. Or like me, as I was reflecting on this, I had to think, well, no, I believe God's powerful. I think he can do anything. And I believe, I'm convinced he cares for me. So what's my problem? Well, I believe he loves me and I believe he can help. He's just taking too long. Too long. It's like he's sleeping. He's absent. Where are you, Jesus? I need you now. Do you not care that I am perishing? So the first great and the first question is there was a great storm with the disciples' response. Lord, do you not care that we are perishing? Well, let's look at the second great and the second question. And to that we go to verse 39. And he awoke and rebuked the wind and said to the sea, Peace, be still. And the wind ceased and there was a great calm a great calm. Jesus is aroused from sleep and commands the winds and the sea to be calm. During the course of this week, our daughter Sarah, who lost her son Melchior, sent, us a, sent around a video to the family of her son Minor, our, our oldest grandchild, yeah, six. He was outside reading a paper that he had written on and it was being blown by the wind. He looks up and he yells at the wind, shut your mouth and stop sneezing. Well, what happened to the wind? Absolutely nothing. I would not have expected the wind to stop blowing because mine are, or any of us, would look up at the wind and say, stop. But when Jesus speaks, 
There's no implication here that he yelled at the wind and the sea, no implication that he was angry. It's just he rebuked them, and he said to the sea and the wind, peace, be still. And the fierce winds and the raging sea became totally calm, not just calmer, It's not that it's settled down, not just a reduction to a manageable level, but Mark says it was a great calm. There's that word mega again. It was a mega calm. It wasn't just a calm. It was a mega calm. I remember growing up out in western Pennsylvania when the Raystown Lake was first formed. They dammed the the Raystown River And we would drive over there and watch bridges that we used to drive over and roads we used to drive on as the lake was filling up. A friend of ours had uh, a sailboat, a catamaran, a Hobie cat, a twin. uh, And uh, he loaned that to us. We knew nothing about sailing, but we're determined to try to figure it out. We threw away the instruction book and said, all right, we'll figure this out. One day, we loaded the catamaran on the truck. We went over to the Raystown Lake. And as we came around the bend over at Overlook, we were stunned with the awestruck wonder as we looked at that lake and the surrounding mountains with its color was perfectly reflected in a mirror-smooth lake. There was not a ripple anywhere. And as I recall, there was a little mist that was just hovering over the surface of the lake, and it wasn't moving anywhere. A great calm. That's the closest I can come, and I still remember that memory is etched into my mind as we sat there in wonder and looked at this and then suddenly realized if we had plans for sailing that day, you can forget it because a wind is not rustling anywhere. A great calm. The second question, which is now asked by Jesus, we see in verse 40. He said to them, why are you so afraid? Have you still no faith? And you say, okay, you're not counting very well. That's two questions. I'm putting them together because I really think there are two sides of the same question. His question does not minimize the fearfulness of the situation. He doesn't say, ah, this storm was nothing. Don't worry about it. They were in genuine danger of dying and had good cause to be afraid. And his questions are not necessarily questions of rebuke, but I think calls to reflection, calls to reflection. Now, it does rebuke us in our sinfulness, I believe, and our perspectives, but I think he really was calling them to reflect. I don't think it was, why are you so afraid? I think it was, why are you so afraid? Why are you so afraid? It calls them to reflect on themselves. What are you focusing on? Are you focusing on your circumstances, your plight, the storm? Who are you focusing on? Your abilities, your resources? And then he says, have you still no faith? I believe this part of the question calls them to reflect on him. They thought their greatest need was a sturdy boat, proper sailing skills, the storm going away, their ability to bail the water out of the boat, perhaps another few bodies to man the oars. 
But Jesus knew their greatest need was to know him better and thus trust him that he would take care of them regardless of the severity of the storm. Well, what about us? How often do we think our greatest need is solving the problem right in front of us? Cure for a disease, a more understanding spouse, a more reasonable boss, children that don't die too young. All good things to long for. But Jesus' lesson here is that our greatest need is to know him in the midst of the storms of our lives. Why are you so afraid? Have you still no faith? So the first great in the question is that there was a great storm with the question, Lord, do you not care that we are perishing? And then the second great in question is there was a great calm. Why are you so afraid? Have you still no faith? Well, then we come to the third great and the third question, and we see both of those in verse 41. And they were filled with great fear. They were filled with great fear. I find this fascinating and challenging. Before this time, because Jesus says, why are you so afraid? Before this, they were afraid that they were going to drown. Before this, they were afraid they were going to drown. That fear was nothing compared to the great fear they now have. Mark does not use, and he's not bashful about using the word great. He's used it three times in this short passage. He did not describe their fear of drowning as a great fear. He says they were afraid. But when Jesus calms the storm, and all of a sudden they realize what had happened, a great fear comes upon them. They thought they were afraid before, and they were, but that fear is nothing compared to the great fear they have now. Actually, in the Greek, and I'm not a Greek scholar, there are two words for fear that are put together. It just puts fear and fear together, and then combines them with, guess what? Mega. So this was a fear that was very fearful that was a mega fear. This was an awareness of a terrible danger that was mixed with an overwhelming awe. They were in the presence of someone who could calm the wind and the waves with a voice. What could they do to them? What could he do to them if he so desired? I think that's the source of the fear. If this man can calm the winds and the waves with a word, there's no limit to what he can do. There was an awareness of a terrible danger mixed with an overwhelming awe. Different Bible translations have translated it. They were very much afraid. They weren't just afraid, very much afraid. They were absolutely terrified. They feared exceedingly. As in the ESV, they were filled with fear. They had a mega fear. Well, this great fear led the disciples to a third and final question. We continue in verse 41. And they were filled with great fear and said to one another, Who then is this that even the wind and the sea obey him? 
Who then is this that even the winds and the sea obey him? In Mark's gospel, this is still very early in Jesus' ministry. But by this time, they had already seen great miracles. They had seen demons cast out. They had seen a paralyzed man get up, pick up his stretcher, and walk. They had seen a person with leprosy healed instantly. They had seen a person with a withered arm that was restored in front of their eyes. They could see Jesus as a man who was a great healer, a great miracle worker. But someone who controls the weather and with just a word, that's over the top. This is overwhelming. This is too much for us to understand. Who then is this? Who indeed? So far, Mark has recorded two suggestions offered by the people as to who Jesus is. Because he appears on the scene and begins preaching, and people are wondering who he is. In chapter 3, verse 21, one conclusion was, he is out of his mind. He's out of his mind. He's crazy. He's insane. He's not able to help us. He's not strong. He is crazy. He is out of his mind. Then a verse later, in chapter 3, verse 22, another group of people came to this conclusion. He is possessed by the devil. That's who he is. He's possessed by the devil. He's not good. He's not kind. He's not to be trusted. He's evil. He is possessed by the devil. The disciples themselves, as we have seen, have seen him as a healer. And Jesus is telling them that is not enough. This, I believe, is the key question that, uh, that all of us need to answer. Who then is this? Who then is this? If you are an unbeliever, if you are a person who does not know Jesus Christ as your Savior, you need to answer that question. Who then is this? And if you are a believer in the midst of the storms of your life, struggling to find which way is up and to get the water out of the boat, the key question that all of us need to answer is who then is this? How we answer that question will determine the course of our life now as well as our eternal destiny. So the first great end question was there was a great storm. Lord, do you not care that we are perishing? The second is there was a great calm, followed by, why are you so afraid? Have you still no faith? And then the third, a great fear. Who then is this that even the wind and the seas obey him? Well, when your storms come, today or tomorrow, if you're not in a storm now, you will be soon. I'm sorry, don't mean to be the bearer of bad news. Or someone you care about is in a storm, or will be. 
Storms are a part of life in this world, in this broken world, and they will come. Some of them, most of them, fortunately, are minor storms. Some of them are great storms. So I would like to ask three other questions as we close this time. Question number one, why were they in that storm in the first place? Why were they in that storm in the first place? They were in the storm because Jesus intentionally sent them into a storm that was beyond their ability to handle. They were in this storm because Jesus intentionally sent them into a storm that was beyond their ability to handle. We like to think that, or maybe it's safer for us to think that Jesus really doesn't know everything. He didn't know what was coming, but the record of the Gospels is that he knew. He, could, he knew what were in people's hearts. He knew what they were thinking. He predicted what was coming. He knew this storm was coming. He intentionally sent them into a storm that was going to be beyond their ability to handle, and then he falls asleep in the back of the boat. He was totally aware of his plan. He knew how this was going to end. He knew what he was going to do. They had no clue. They just thought they were taking this boat across the other side of the lake. I believe this is a very important thing for us to grasp when these storms come into our lives, especially the big ones. Whether he sends the storm or allows the storm, however you choose to look at it, some people say, no, he didn't send it, he just allowed it. All right, I don't think it makes a difference because if he could stop it and chooses not to, the storm is there by his permission. I don't care if he sends it or allows it, it's there by his permission. It's not there because he was unaware, indifferent, not knowing what was going on, it's there by his permission. We don't usually know why God sends storms to our lives. We don't usually know why, and I think that's a question that I think it's a good one to ask, but a good one to leave behind quickly because to understand the mind of God and to understand why he does what he does is sometimes beyond our abilities, otherwise we would be God. We don't usually know why God sends the storms to our lives, but we can know that he has not abandoned us and that his good and perfect purposes will be fulfilled and that he has good and perfect purposes for us. So why were they there in the first place? They were there because he intentionally sent them into that storm. The second question I'd like us to ask here is in the midst of the storms, we often ask, where is Jesus in the storm? Where are you, God? Where are you, Jesus? What is he doing? Well, sometimes he's sleeping in the back of the boat. But it's not a sleep of indifference. It's not a sleep of a lack of love, as we're prone to think. When the storms are coming upon us and God seems to be silent, or God is silent, it doesn't even seem to be silent, God is silent. We want the storm to end now. We want the solution now, and God seems to be absent. What is our go-to? Lord, do you not care? 
that we are perishing. But this story reminds us that sometimes Jesus is sleeping in the back of the boat, but it's not a sleep of indifference or lack of love. It's a sleep of perfect calm and rest because he can do anything, anytime to take care of any problem. He is often slower than we would like, but he is never late and never indifferent. And what is the worst case scenario that could have happened to these disciples in this storm? They could have all died, drowning in the Sea of Galilee. And then we would say, well, that's it, it's over. And Jesus would say, Peter, James, John, arise. Back to life. Because he knows that he is the resurrection and the life. The worst thing this world can do to us is kill us. And Jesus has overcome death itself. So we like to ask, where is Jesus in the storm? But I would like to suggest, and that was the original title that I had given this message, is where is Jesus in the storm? But as I reflected on it, I said, no, that doesn't go far enough because the question we really need to ask is this third one, and that is, who is Jesus in the storm? Not where. I'm not going to know where he is. I'm not going to know what his purposes are and what his plans, but I can know who he is in the storm. Who then is this? He is Jesus who is both strong and kind He is both all-powerful and all-loving. He has come to rescue us from perishing in the overwhelming storms of life. That's why he came, that we would not perish. Lord, do you not care that we are perishing? Yes, I care. That's why I came, to rescue you from the storms of life. In his life, he demonstrated power, absolute power over all sicknesses and the forces of evil in this world. In his crucifixion, he broke the power of sin over our lives by taking it on himself. And in his resurrection, he completely conquered the greatest storm of all that we will ever face, and that is death itself. There is no power, I want you to hear this, There is no power on earth that is stronger than him. There is no sin you can commit that is beyond his ability to forgive and to heal. And there is no consequence in your lives of poor choices that he cannot rescue. Who then is this that even the winds and the sea obey him? Now, I'm going to get it on a bit of a theological soapbox. I was going to apologize, but I won't. Don't we often say to one another, well, at least God won't give me anything more than I can handle? And we actually have a Bible verse for that in Corinthians, right? We know that God won't allow us to be tempted beyond what we are able. But I believe, and I'm not going to go into it now, I think that verse is taken out of context But we will often reassure either ourselves or someone else, well, at least I know God's not going to give me anything more than I can handle. 
This story puts the lie to that because Jesus sent his disciples into a storm they could not handle. So what's going on? I came across this quote on the Gospel Coalition website by Matt Smethurst, and I love this. The good news is not that God won't give us more than we can handle. It's that he won't give us more than he can handle. Let that sink in. It's not, the good news is not that God won't give us more than we can handle. It's that he won't give us more than he can handle. If we say, well, God will never give me anything more than I can handle, then where is the focus? The focus is on me and my ability to handle. But if we say, God will never give me anything in my life that he can't handle, where is the focus? The focus is on him, God Almighty, all-powerful, who loves us with an everlasting love. Jesus has guaranteed to see us safely through all the storms of life. He is guaranteed to see us safely through all the storms of life because he is all-powerful and all-loving. He is, as we heard in that song earlier, strong and kind. We would not want one without the other. We would not want him to be strong and unkind because we would never know what evil could come to us. And we wouldn't want him to be nice and loving and kind but have no power because he could sympathize with us but could do nothing to help us. But Jesus is all-powerful and all-loving. He is strong and kind. He certainly calms the storms in our lives, storms of sin, storms of circumstances, storms of consequences. But one day, when he returns for us, a great calm is coming. A great calm is coming in which all storms will finally and forever cease. As J.R.R. Tolkien said in The Lord of the Rings, all that is sad will become untrue. I love that. All that is sad will become untrue. Or as C.S. Lewis said in the Chronicles of Narnia, death will have worked backwards. Death will have worked backwards. One of the many cards that we have received, and we haven't even gotten through them all yet, we're giving them to ourselves in small doses as we need them. But one of the cards, it just was very interesting, a picture of a sea that says, we have an awesome God who fears no storm, who tells the waves when to cease, and who brings rainbows after the rain. Who then is this? This is Jesus. This is who he is, strong and kind. And when that great calm arrives, there will be a great joy that is unending. No more storms. No more trials. No more problems. No more six-month-olds not waking up from their crib there will be a great calm. 
May we grow to know him more and more and trust him more fully in the storms of our lives. May God use his word to help us this morning. Amen. I'd like to just spend a couple moments uh, in prayer as we reflect on what we've heard and may God speak to us. Lord, thank you that you brought us to a place that we can better see your heart for us. Thank you that we can see you as Jesus who is guaranteed to see us safely through all the storms of life because you are all-powerful and all-loving. You are strong and kind. Lord, we are in the midst of great storms that are overwhelming us. As a society, we face the ongoing pandemic where we must live behind masks and in physical distance from one another. We live in a society racked with the consequences of our failure to deal with hypocrisy and injustice in our dealings with one another. As a church, as a local church, we struggle to get our bearings in the midst of the storms over the past few years that you've brought into the life of our church. And as individuals, we live with our personal storms of various kinds. Lord Jesus, we need you. We thank you for your initial rescue of us from our sin. And we thank you in advance that you have promised to come back to finalize that rescue in your kingdom. And we wait eagerly for that day. So Jesus, you are strong and kind. Help us to live more deeply into that reality. And Jesus, because you are strong and kind, our souls can learn to be still and trust you to, that you will lead our futures as you have led the past, that you will see us through the pain and toil of this world, knowing that the winds and waves of this life still know your voice, who ruled them while you dwelt here on this earth with us. And it's in that all-powerful, in all loving name of our Lord Jesus that we pray, amen. And as the musicians present this song to us, I ask that you would let your hearts and minds reflect on this great hymn that reminds us of who Jesus is in the storms of life.